Next Chapter Podcast. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Speak to me, universal law, the whores hustle and this might be the greatest song title in the history of song titles. It is The Whore's Hustle and The Hustler's Whore. Ah, uh, I mean, give me a better song title than that. That's poetic. It's from PJ Harvey off her 2000 album, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. It's also number 431 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, The 500 with Josh, Adam, me. Myers, but me, the King Cadugal. Thank you guys for joining me on the only podcast that is going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums down to one. There are times that I look over this list to see what's coming up and I get excited because I'm like, ooh, I heard about this artist or I heard about this record and I just feel like it's going to connect with me. And mama, oh mama, jamma, did this one slice up the hammer. This album was released under Island Records. It's the fifth studio album by English alternative rock artist Polly Jean Harvey, but also known as PJ Harvey. She was born in Bridgeport, Dorset, England. That's where I grew up. That's right outside of uh, Washington, D.C., right? Right off 270. She was born there in 69, and she grew up on her family's farm. Her parents were avid music fans with an extensive record collection that helped shape Harvey's music. She also was inspired by Ian Stewart, who was a Rolling Stones keyboardist and close family friend and frequent visitor of the Harvey home. Harvey began her professional career in 88 when she joined a local band. But in 91, she left the band with two other members, drummer and backing vocalist Rob Ellis and bassist Ian Oliver. Together, the three of those people formed what is now called PJ Harvey with PJ on guitar and lead vocals. The trio recorded demos that got them signed to independent label Too Pure, and within a year, they were a critical success. Rolling Stone even named PJ Songwriter of the Year and Best New Female Singer. These accolades got the attention of Island Records, who signed the trio. However, friction with the other two members saw the group break up and PJ kept the name as a solo artist. Thank God, because that would be weird if she had to change it. My new name is Kaduki Shluki. What happened to PJ? I'm, I'm now known as Kaduki Shluki. Her first solo album, 1995's To Bring You My Love, was wildly successful. And after several more successful albums and collaborations, 
PJ decided to pursue other artistic ventures. She spent some time in New York acting in the 1998 Hal Hartley movie, The Book of Life, where the urban environment inspired several of her future songs, although she insisted that stories from the city, stories from the sea, this is so hard to say, Stories from the city. Stories. This is like a vocal warm-up if you're in acting class. I got a big audition. Stories from the city. Stories from the sea. Stories from the city. Stories from the sea. Stories from the sea. Stories from the sea. I can't do it. Oh, my God. I've just been paying all this money for acting classes. What am I doing? Basically, what he's trying to say is this record isn't about New York, even though everything about it says New York. The fuller, prettier, and more sophisticated sound of this record compared to the much darker, unsettling moments of her previous ones was deliberate. As she said, I want this album to sing and fly and be full of reverb and and lush layers of melody. I want it to be my beautiful, sumptuous, lovely piece of work. Dude, I don't use sumptuous enough, but it's getting into the fucking repertoire. I'll tell you that much, playa. This is her most commercial record. This sold over a million copies. It earned her both a Grammy and a Brit Award nomination, and in 2001, made her the first female solo artist to win the prestigious Mercury Music Prize, which I am obsessed with, which you'll hear us talk about later in the pod. She followed that up with four more albums, lots of collaborations, and a bunch of different artistic shit. In fact, in 2001, she won the Mercury Music Prize again for her eighth studio record, Let England Shake, making her the award's most successful artist. Dude, she's beaten out like Radiohead. She's beaten out Badly Drawn Boy. She's beaten out Massive Attack. She hasn't beaten out my guest today. And I know I say this a lot, but this is one of my favorite people in the whole entire wide world. It's Mary Lynn Ricegub. And guess what, guys? In this moment, I figured out how to say her last name because it's spelled like... It's, 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 it's spelled kind of Kadoogly. You know what I'm saying? I love her to death. I'm teasing. I, I've known Mary Lynn for a long time. She, honest to God, is one of the funniest people, one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. And, uh, has a gym out in, like, the valley that I worked out with her. And she kills it. High intensity interval training. It's all her. You might know Mary Lynn as being one of the extremely funny actors on Mr. Show with Bob and David, one of my favorite shows. She was on 24, Punched on Glove, a million other things. She's got an incredible podcast called Checking In with Mary Lynn. And in later parts of this year, you can see her in the brand new movie, The Tomorrow Wars. I think she was in night school. She's in everything. Great episode, great guest. I'm so excited you guys get to hear this one because I had a lot of fun doing it. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Calm. So, homies, kadoogly spooglies, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 431 out of 500 with stories from the city. Stories from the sea. But PJ Harvey. This was crazy. Jersey, 
For the first time in the history of the 500, not only did you join in, but you were on that energetic <laughs> level. We, we were in a full prism of light and hope. I, I wanted to get you on this uh, for a while, mm -hmm. and I showed you the list, and you were like, ooh, PJ Harvey. Why PJ Harvey? Like, what is your connection to PJ? Like, how did you get into her? The thing is, there's no getting around her, the womanness. Like, you can't uh, divorce that she's a singular woman. At the time, I was, uh, I saw her in the 90s in Detroit at St. Andrews Hall. And so this is before you moved to, to Hollywood, yeah. right? Oh, wow. And, you know, I was thinking about it in the car on the way over here. I really was still new to music. I, I was very much like growing up in Detroit. I really liked soft rock. I really liked top 40. No Motown? A lot of Motown. <laughs> I mean, that's like, as you're born, as you come out of the womb, it's, oh. they just play, it's a beautiful morning. <laughs> uh -huh. Tons of Motown, but yeah. that Detroit radio, I had no problems. I had no questions. I had no no angst uh my mom had a lot of uh you know Bar barbara streisand barry manilow neil oh, diamond yeah. and in high school i was just starting to get acclimated to like a pink floyd you know i had a friend who was into Susie sue cocteau twins but that was like beyond me but i was aware and i knew it was like stirring something inside of me i had just been into david bowie and so and even going to clubs was a new thing right i was only like 19 i think i moved to la when i was like 25 but uh yeah i i wasn't i wasn't even really comfortable going to the club you know i kind of had i i was not a riot girl even though like by the time in the 90s i <laughs> do you have a stroke no it's just I, i'm her, okay i'm okay there's, there's, I there's definitely... like five r's in riot girl <laughs> that's how you say it i know have you only seen it in print because i'm saying it correctly thank you so uh <laughs> But I definitely had the exterior that people assumed that, like, I'm cool, but I, I was not cool, is yeah. my point in saying, giving you the ramp up to it. So I go to St. Andrews, invited by a friend, and I just remember seeing her on stage and just like, what, like, what the fuck is happening? It was so piercing and so singular and so growly. And I wish I could say that, like, it it did speak to me, but it also was very button pushing for me. You know, there was a little bit like, what does what does she think she's doing? You know, yeah. it was a definite. It would it would take me years to uncover the anger that lay dormant inside of me. Thank but, you, Richard Attenborough. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but that was the beginning of seeing someone, you know, and I mentioned like the Susie Sue because my friend was into her. Like like the most punk I got was, I mean, I had a boyfriend who was into Sex Pistols and like uh, um, U2 was like the, the edgiest, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm seeing PJ Harvey going, wait, what is happening? Because it was such a yelp and such a, F you and like come closer but go away and such a raw emotion but yet still remained controlled with intellect and all that translates immediately even if I couldn't articulate it and uh, her music is kind of like you don't want to listen to it but you have to listen to it so it's like both things at once all the time where you're like, hey, can I sing along with this? Oh, no, fuck me? Okay, got it. No problem. <laughs> like, you know, it's like goes in within one phrase to I get you. I'm I'm feeling it. And then like, oh, I'm the problem. And uh, wow. 
yeah, I just had never seen anything like that. And it was almost um, too, too, too much for me. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I, I think for you, it's, I mean, you're seeing her at what, 19? Yeah. And I, I have not listened to any of her music prior to this. The only real experience I had with PJ Harvey was uh, Juliette Lewis covered Hardly Wait uh, on the soundtrack to Strange Days, and I oh loved it. I loved it. I just remember watching Juliette, like, like, you know, crawl around and do this sexy dancing, and the song is just so powerful, even though it's like three chords. And so I, I kept seeing PJ Harvey's name pop up uh, throughout the dives into British musicians that of my obsessions, like Radiohead and Gomez and The Verve and, and basically and all Badly Drawn Boy. And, and there was an award uh, that's given out in England called the Mercury Music Prize. And it's everybody that's won it. Uh, I've like I've been obsessed with. Uh, Gomez has won it. Badly Drawn Boy. Ronnie Size. Um, Alt J. And PJ Harvey won it twice. And for this album that we're talking about, um, which is uh, album 431 out of 500, the fifth studio album, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea by PJ Harvey, released on October 23rd, 2000, produced by Rob Ellis, Mick Harvey, and PJ. So I, for some reason, she just never made her way into my ears. I just would see her name. I'd see her image, just much like you said. It It looked like she was, she's like this, I don't want to say oddly attractive. It's yes, like she, her true. looks are not like, oh my God, she's gorgeous. But there's something it's like sec- rubs at you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sharp. It's, it's like with the lips, the red lipstick and the very skinny heroin chic look and the style of clothing that still looks like, you know, I don't want to Always say holding a handbag. She'll hold a handbag. Is she a handbag holder? But she'll do it like in a punk rock way. But yeah. Some of her videos, she's just, how is that? Like, she's super raw and yelping, but she's got handle. a little, hand- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're bloody, bloody, bloody handbags. But that's the thing is that I, I looked at her and I was like, God, I'm like oddly attracted to this woman and I've yet to hear her music. And so when I saw this was on the list and then I saw that two of her albums are on the list, I, I couldn't have been more excited. Oh, I was refreshing my memory and I put it on in the car. My 11-year-old son was in the car and he's very, if if you play any older music, he's like, turn that off, mom. Like he can only listen to super highly produced hip hop with like, ton- you're just like, there's way too much. Teenage dream is like a thing. Oh my God, he would be so offended. He likes like current hip hop, okay? Yee. Really? Oh, he's yeah. a big Yee fan? That, no, I don't know. He That's just know. what they say for like, yes. And then his friend, if something's good, they say, bet. He's, oh, he's like, dead ass mom. He, he's dead like Roddy ass. Rich and Da Baby. Oh my God. But That's so disconnected if, I am. if he can't, hear any any anything that he likes hope he's been putting on 50s music um and so it was very jarring to have this on in the car and unconsciously he just you know the first song was on and he just went like uh like i'm gonna get that off right now like he went to change it and i go i'm listening to that yeah and then he's like oh do we have to listen to this and then he started uh singing along to little bits uh like those those phrasings and some of the yelping like he couldn't help himself but that's all um i i think pj harvey is 
is a badass. I, I think this album is so powerful in so many ways, whether it's the sound of her voice, the the poetic imagery, and then and then it's all all this stuff over this very simplistic music. These songs aren't complicated. My favorite song on the record is just four chords over and over, and and yet it just builds and and takes you to this place and. Like it like I, tricks you with the musicality of it because it yes. seems so simple and it seems like it's like, oh, this is grungy or this is um, that Courtney Love just popped in my head. But and I said this earlier about her, the intellect of it and the musicality of it. It's she rides this line of like, you know, I'm a whore, like I'm I'm crazy, but she holds it tight like but you're not going to tell me and I'm going to like school you and I'm wiser. It's like this really weird line of like the intelligence of it. Like she, it's not ever. It's the you, British. It's, it's the, the, it's it's the British. British. It's the British. But she you're went never, to a nice she's school. She's never uh, like, I just pictured, there was one song in particular. I think I have a note on it when it comes up that I pictured her, like she's just comparing her to a girl at like a Daytona spring break, you know, like, Girls Gone Wild and just PJ Harvey just being there like, I'm going to burn this whole fucking place <laughs> down. But she's just as sexual, but she's unapologetic and she's in control of herself and she's uncompromising and she'll she'll tell you how it's going to be. But that doesn't mean that she's not suffering and and vulnerable. Yeah. And this is what's funny. Um this uh, I found this little news clipping saying uh, the songs uh, from this album are a musical departure from her previous dark material. <laughs> and I'm like, it was darker. It was darker. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. And oh, that reminds me of um, uh, this is something I uh, not to name drop a movie that I did a little movie called uh, Punch Drunk Love directed by Paul Thomas Anderson one of my favorite movies by the way I think it's P.T. Anderson's best film I, so, I think it's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen thank you I remember him saying in an interview something about that this was his romantic comedy and it made me P.J. Harvey made me think of him saying that because some of these songs you're like oh this is her love song then it starts and you're like oh no like yeah. what's wrong like, oh I could completely like, beautiful see that. thing like no, it doesn't feel beautiful PJ. Uh, this, dude like, it's it's wow what a perfect comparison because it's when Adam Sandler is holding uh, Emma is that her the actress's name yeah when he or, and he's holding her head and he's like I just want to bash your fucking Emily. face Emily he's like I want to bash your face in with a brick like this is a very uncomfortable movie and he's yes. like this is my love it, story a true love story. Wow. Such anxiety. Such oh my like. God. That, uh, this is probably the greatest statement that's been said on the 500 <laughs> podcast. All the kadoogly spooglies out there, you heard it here first. P.T. Anderson definitely listens to P.J. Harvey. A million oh, percent. Gosh. hundred. He probably dated her. Who knows? I mean, he dated Fiona. And uh, she's right? very dark and very mm. melodic. And her love songs are fucking, they're scary. He There's, got lucky with Maya Rudolph being the mom of. Yeah, what if, what I, if he was like made a baby with <laughs> PJ Harvey? Be like, uh oh, oh my god, they burned down the neighborhood again. <laughs> um, some things about this record before we dive into the songs. Um, the Harvey Andersons just held the up the Harvey liquor store. Andersons are having another seance. We're going <laughs> over there, and then we're gonna play Cards Against Humanity. It's gonna be fun. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. 
So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So uh, PJ said that she wanted this to be a departure. She said this album, I wanted it to be absolute beauty. And this was her attempt at making a pop album as unpop as she could possibly do it. Now, when we went through uh, the to try to find the research on this record, uh, PJ said this statement as well. Uh, she does not tell you the uh, actual meanings of the songs. She doesn't explain her lyrics. She chooses not to. She, she feels says they speak for themselves. Exactly. That's what she, literally that's what it says. She says the beauty of it for me is that everyone can interpret it in their own way. So all of these are me and Morty trying to figure out I mean, uh, what these songs mean. That's and some old school movie star mystery. You know, yeah, she's like, I'm the artist. Well, I just, do my thing and then I want to do something different. I don't want to talk to the fans. Like, yeah, and she's also is, saying this is her, like everybody's like, oh, well, this is your New York record. And she's like, yeah, this has nothing to do with New York. And you're like, uh, you just shouted out nine streets in one song. <laughs> On a rooftop in Manhattan. Yeah, exactly. Okay, PJ. Okay, Paige. <laughs> Chill out, Paige. All right, so the album opens uh, with Big Exit. Uh great opener i love everything about this song uh because this was my first real introduction into pj harvey and it did not disappoint i love the pounding guitar the drums and lyrically it's got this very bonnie and clyde uh feeling to the song um so sample lyrics that i pulled out you know baby baby ain't it true i'm immortal when i'm with you but I want a pistol in my hand and I want to go to a different land. It's like, yeah. let's be lovers, but let's wreck some shit yeah. while we do this. But then she also dips into, in the lyrics, um, like a larger, and she does this a lot, a larger um, commentary on society. Like in there, it's like, hey, guns are bad, guys. Uh, I thought this was a, a perfect way to open it because maybe it's Bonnie and Clyde, maybe it's an obsession uh, of America and their guns. But the key moment of this song is at the bridge. Because to me, it sounds like this Travis uh, Bickle from Taxi Driver, like inner soliloquy narration. Uh, Peter, uh, play the bridge for me. Yeah, that's it's a um, poetic journal entry of uh, self destruction and self-loathing and and being scared and being hurt yeah who doesn't who doesn't have that on a daily basis oh i mean this is this is uh i mean this is everybody that lives in los angeles you know for the most part it's like that's me at my pilot audition yesterday (laughs) am i right guys are you going are you going in for for more comedy or more dramas um i the the one i'm talking about in particular is a comedy and it's 
I hate all auditions. I think that it's really tricky because I've worked so long and so much that it's like, and that you get to a point where you're like, oh, it just doesn't matter. Just go read and put me on tape. For me, it's like, I, 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 I am a comic. I love doing the heavy material. I love when the scene is like, is I really have to bring up emotion. I have to really dig in there. And, and something like this um, it is incredible to, to be able to like, to, to see PJ really just bearing it. It's like, I've experienced so much of this. So yeah, I wonder so- if uh, hearing you talk about uh, connecting that to her and like acting in a scene, she's got to feel like she's, when she does this performance, you know, because you see her talk and she is so self-effacing and, and measured um, that she goes into this, right? She's got to dig into it like you would as an actor. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I was watching some of her live performances and it's she's so subdued and every movement that she gave was was so it was it, it was it was almost like, you know, not to say she thought it out, but mm. it's just she was she was the stillness made the song that much more powerful. So the inner turmoil of these lyrics is that she's just using that and just every every motion that she did just felt like it was it was even more powerful than and if she's like you you'd think if she's like Patty Smith like going right. all, going all no, squiggly it's, diggly it's ve- that's what's so crazy about her music it's very deliberate and yes, controlled that's the word but I then think of. goes off yeah. where you are like should I be worried about her should yeah. we should we call somebody <laughs> she knows exactly what she's doing and she can harness that yeah all right. Well, the second song is kind of a follow up to this one. It's Good Fortune. Uh, this was the first single off the record. And we just mentioned uh, Patti Smith and Chrissy Hind. This song really sounds like that. Uh, play the first verse. Through my bad fortune, off the top of a tall building, I'd rather done it with you. This is the song where I realized how much I loved PJ Harvey. This was the one. The first one, I'm like, all right, this is a good introduction. It's powerful. But this is where, like, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I am hooked on this song. I'm hooked on this artist. Uh, This is just a love affair uh, that sprawls all over New York City. And I think this is, like I said a second ago, this is a continuation of the first song because there's the Bonnie and Clyde reference. Mm -hmm. And then she's the ending lyrics. She just keeps on repeat. She keeps saying on the run again, on the run again. Um, Thoughts? Um, that beginning so jaunty, and you know what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like that's doom, 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 doom. You're like, I'm there. I'm in the love affair. And then, why on the run again? Like, what happened? <laughs> There's always like this undertone of like, oh, like the bottom just fell out, or the Bonnie and Clyde, the the danger to it. Not more so in other songs that are coming up, but like a druggy feel, like an uh, like the, that the love is an addiction. So that's she's also playing that line between feeling safe and then like on the run. Like what happened? Why can't you guys just like go home and watch TV? Like no, <laughs> but I because I, I one I, I know that this album coincides with a relationship uh, with Nick Cave, oh. and it was a very tumultuous relationship. So I think 
you were like, leading me to see if I knew that, and I didn't know that. No, no, I, I, I. This is all research that I had to find, and I mean, I have more details about it later. But from what I know, it's like you're you're dealing with an artist. You're probably you're probably arguing because you both want so much, and then and then you know, but you want this perfect love affair. I feel like these are dreams to her mm-hmm. of what she wanted and expected out of him, and so she just kind of drew this whole story up about this. No, this is this is how it should be. And it's just it's just the reaction to what it actually is. I love that because you can picture her standing there with him, with somebody and having all those feelings that we've all had, like in a new love. And but then also you could see it falling apart and and not, you know, maybe this is the beginning of the relationship. Maybe this is the, the the good fortune that you when you find somebody like that and and you you're get, trying to be present and you're so in love that you can't help but you know want it to last forever and be a dream. I rem I well I always say that the best part uh, like there's like there's one of the best feelings in the world is when you have a crush on somebody and they have a crush on you back and it's just this innocent before you have sex before got you have, it Josh <laughs> but, then, then once you then once you boner it's like. Next. So this was their first date. This could be. I mean, this could be like this having those those hopes, and you're just like, oh man, it's just like how lucky. Just to be clear, before he put her his before Nick Cave put his his penis penis. in PJ Harvey. Yeah. Was that before or after her relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson? (laughs) Before. Fafters. When has good fortune smiled upon you? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, Jeez. I don't know. I mean, I'm just getting images of all the times that I've felt that way, and it's been syrupy sweet and then blown up in my face. That's such a a broad question, though. Do you have one in particular? Um, I'm thinking of this guy when I was in Detroit who... It's funny looking back on it because at the time I didn't realize how drawn to comedy I was because I was very interior and very socially awkward. And there was this guy. Were. Hey, <laughs> like PJ Harvey, this is me at my most melodic and sensuous and and layered. So lush, layered. lush. You're like a delicious, harmonies. delicious. This is me at my uh, most outgoing you're, and, you're, you're, and you're understandable. You got, you got frosting in between layer after Listen, layer. I had some problems, okay? Yeah. Couldn't talk to people, couldn't socialize, and I saw this guy, and I was trying to get away from my parents' house. But I was also a good girl, so I didn't think I could, but I was instinctively doing it. And I followed my best friend to Ann Arbor. I was like, let me live with you for the summer. And there was a guy in a parking garage and he had a he had a whistle around his neck and a red t-shirt tucked into some pleated pants like he was a busser at a semi-fancy restaurant. What and a weird valet guy. <laughs> I, he was directing traffic, but just for fun because he thought it was a funny bit. Looking back on it, he was the most obnoxious, like simplest, just loud, like, that, that wasn't a bit, dude. You're just being weird. Yeah. And he w- would go into the donut shop and w- was just outgoing and being um, absurd. And I just idolized it. I thought, like, this guy is the shit. Yeah. And fell in love with him. And then I, it was just the worst. I realized that I just put him on this pedestal for no reason. And he just was like, petty and spiteful and yeah. childish and not very smart but I just bought 
you know, the Kool-Aid of like, oh, you're my everything. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, A Place Called Home. This is the second single release from the record. Uh, to me, this song is sort of sad and hopeful at the same time. Uh, it's about finding something right at the wrong time. And she ends the chorus with this, like, one day there'll be a place for us. And I think uh, it's not only just powerful, but I think it sets up the whole song. And then you have my favorite part, which is this verse right here. Uh, Peter, play it for me. One day there'll be a place for us. like how she goes so interior but then it's always uh to different lands then it always goes like back out to all over the world yeah that stumble felt all over the world do you feel like that stumble when you go back to detroit i mean because you've been successful do people accept you like when you return back to your homeland having done what you've done um oh i always feel terrible i think now probably this past five to ten years you know, as you get older, you start to just go, who who gives a fuck? But I remember going to um, like a, what are those things called? A reunion, a class reunion. Yeah. And I have such a mixed bag of like, I'm judging them. I'm like, oh, like you're fat, you're this, you're that. But then my role, even though they were treating me like I was a big star, I still felt terrible because the way they were doing it was like, oh, look who's on TV. And I was just like, Oh, oh. Wait, when was and this? Was this 10 year, 10 20 year? Ten so, year. Wait, so what have you done by that point? Like Mr. Show probably. Veronica's Closet. Ooh, I remember that. Was that. I mean, stuff that people, you know, like sitcoms that people would be like, oh, that's a really big deal. It's like a huge deal. Mr. Show would have, when you go back to high school people, they may not have known. It was very, the hip people liked it. It was but, a very cool show. So not, that's I, why I think people love it so much because not everybody knows it. So yeah, I had done stuff that was big and broad. Yeah, but and, a Christy Alley remember, show? A Christy yeah. Alley show. Um, It's Christy, okay? okay so, but I remember my sister and my mom were like picking out clothes for me. Like I very much played the role of like, okay, like, oh, we're going to have fun. And I had like clothes I would never wear just because I went along with it. It's yeah. very incongruous with the person that's like I'm on top of the world like I was a walking stumble even though it was the attention was on me you know I remember someone introducing me like and there's our star and I was just like oh like you're gross and I'm grosser (laughs) because you're referring to me yeah and this there's nothing if anything it's more of a disconnect yeah is that why you think you connect with the song uh that's why I connect Yes, we'll put it with this song in particular, <laughs> but like all of her music, just just always that push and pull with her. Yeah. All right, let's go on to my favorite song on the record, One Line. Uh, just, just play the opening because I fucking love it. Do you remember the first kiss? Stars shooting across the sky. Oh my god, I just want a gypsy dance to it. Just very like Stevie Nicks. I want a flowing dress because this is four chord perfection. Oh, this is the four this chord. This is one. Four, it's four chords. It never changes. Occasionally it adds a little like And then she's got uh Tom York from Radiohead uh just just ooing in the background. Yeah, dude. Oh. Tom York is all over this record, oh. dude. 
So I got maybe I was hooked by the second song. This is the one that I was like, oh, I think PJ Harvey is one of the most brilliant artists. I know this is gonna sound stupid that I have ever heard. Like mm. I just. I don't know Patty Smith. I don't know Chrissy. Hine, I don't know Patty Smith, but I know she's, she is my Patty Smith like, and beyond. She's she's my like. I wish I could have heard her uh, in the '90s and the 2000s because this is just it's something that like the way that I connected with Fiona Apple. I'm like this is just an even darker extension yes. of Fiona, and I love that. So to go off the title, the one line concept is about that person who you will always have a connection to and with, no matter how far away or how long it's been. The zombies. And she mentioned it. Can't get away from them. In the previous song. Um, have you ever had that experience with that kind of concept? The one line concept that she's uh, saying? Is there a person that is your one line? My mom. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, well. That's not what she said. I know she uh, took me off Facebook. She unfriended me. Um, it's a very interesting question because I feel like I'm at a time in my life where I would say no. But if you talk to me through my 20s and 30s, every person I dated, I would be like, you're my you're my line. You love hard. Yeah. And I'm now finally... For as much as I can feel her lyrics and still they, they still resonate with me, I'm also just at that point in my life where I'm like, it's me alone. Bye. Do you feel like this album now resonates with you even more than it did when you first heard it? Yeah, it's been really fun to rediscover it because I hadn't listened to it in quite a while. Um, for as much as some of these emotions are more with with the love affair with the intensity mm -hmm. for for some reason I it feels deeper to me now because I've had more life experience I don't know really what I'm saying or well, what you've that. loved you've lost you've loved and gained and it's just like it's Thank the roller coaster you. that's ride that's where I'm going it, with that yeah it's it's like I, I know all of this stuff yeah and I can I'm not in the middle of it but I can visit it when I listen to this music and yeah. I can go on this trip with her and I can appreciate so much it, it more now the songwriting and the delivery and the artistry of it in a way that I don't think I did before. You guys are missing is I wish we did a video podcast because anytime Mary Lynn says something, she her her arms get all squid diggly and she's all like scoodly do and a squiggly dan. It's great. Those are all words. Like I now use. when I listen to this song, it's like I draw a line to your heart today and pray to keep us safe. I'm like. Hey, I'm just running some errands. Like, it's cool, man. I'm okay. Like, I'm Peach, just gonna chill. Hit the dry cleaner. Chill. The dog's get. Don't worry. The dog's getting washed. Dog's getting washed. Okay. I know you're a little bit allergic right now. I know. I pray to keep us safe. What? What is okay. your? Okay. What is your one line to the supermarket? It's express. That's what I'm like saying. I, you know, back then I always felt this way. Yeah. Like on the reg, and now I like to visit it. Yeah. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, 
And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. All right, let's visit the next song. Uh, Beautiful Feeling, uh, this is PJ on vocals and guitar, and Tom York uh, just giving you some ooze. Uh, Play the powerful chorus, brother. It's the best thing. So, uh, this is actually, <laughs> what are you laughing at? Just once again, you're like, is it the best thing? Yeah, Because you sound like you're in a hospital under a sheet trying to break out of, like, the psychiatric ward. Did your Nana just die? <laughs> because that's what it sounds like. Are and you it's... lying to me? But that's also her irreverence that uh, there's weird humor, not that, but she plays both sides. No, completely. Uh, so this is actually a positive song yeah. about finding elusive love somewhere across the world, and she made it sound super dark, you know? She's always going through something. She's always in the thick of it, and then she gives you a little release on that melodic... Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's what you were, you were talking about, the the uh dichotomy between the the sound and and the meaning it's it's she's she even when she's happy there's a lonely sadness to it yes. she's like i found love <laughs> i found love <laughs> like it's so in the bigger picture like spiritually she knows that everything is temporary that's yeah. why her music is on another level yeah dude because she's like yeah it's love but what is love I mean, every note in every song, she's asking that question. She's deeply committed to it, but she's also like, I'm not going to just, I'm going to give you the uh, every angle of this. Yeah. Uh, the next song might be the best title uh, I've ever heard. The Whore's Hustle <laughs> and the Hustler's Whore. That's right. That sounds like something my black next door neighbor who's like 70 year old would say. He'd be like, the Whore's Hustle and the Hustler's Whore. He's on the corner outside the gas station now. Just <laughs> like, like, word. If it ain't got coleslaw on the burger, <laughs> I don't want hot sauce with the fries. Because you know what I'm saying. The whore's hustle and the hustler's whore. That's Let right. Let me borrow five dollars. Alright, so this song recalls the good old days of filthy Kaplecki and gritty Kashmiki Times Square before Giuliani mm. Anuki cleaned it up and made it downtown Wang Disney Zuki. Play uh, 227. Speak to me of heroin and speed, genocide and suicide, syphilis and greed. Speak to me the language of love. That's, that's, 
painting what does that a, mean to you? I mean, it, that, that's, this, what she's saying is, you know, new, when she's in New York, this is Giuliani cleaned that place up. It used to be taxi driver-esque. Yeah. It used to be drug dealers just out on Times Square. She got in trouble for saying something later about Washington, D.C. So this is a similar... She's she's very true to her philosophical... And, and dude, in D.C., I used to work at the 930 Club where I used to buy drugs is now a cupcake shop. Like, that's what I'm saying is all these cities used to have dark... I mean, just... I mean, you fucking grew up in Detroit. She got criticized for her commentary on that. But then uh, an article I read was like, but also... Why are we giving her credence that speaks to her power as an artist? Yeah. So not only is this maybe not even about New York, when you're talking about her relationship with Nick Cave, this is rumored to be about that short, tumultuous relationship because they were collaborating on several songs in the mid-90s, and so she's writing this as this is going down. So we mentioned uh, Nick Cave. like He had some very serious drug issues. Uh, and they are all mentioned along with some lines from this song. Ooh, how spicy. Go on. I love a little song beef, loves to wang zuki tuki. You know what I'm talking about? Sure do. Let's talk about whoring, though. Y- let's. Okay. <laughs> have you ever taken a gig where you felt like you were selling out? Uh, no, but I have a story about almost becoming a whore. No. <laughs> Hit me. Even better. I was walking. It's one of my favorite stories. If you've heard this Please on a podcast before, like no, no, I could say it. Fifty. It, it will never get old. The story. I was wearing pajamas, sunglasses. Actually, this was around this time. Walking in Silver Lake, wet hair, uh, backpack. Uh, somebody on a sidewalk was like, "Hey," and it, she was saying hi to me and made me feel like I knew her, even though I didn't. So I walked towards her, and as I was like, "Oh, hey," like thinking I didn't want to not you know recognize and then i realized as i got closer i'm like oh i don't know her and she was short shorts translucent white skin with bruises down there and she's like what are you up to like starts up this convo and i was like what is like is she gonna try to sell me drugs i wanted to know what was gonna happen so i just kept yes anding her i'm like i'm not up to anything she's like you going downtown i'm like yep she's like you looking for work i'm like yeah (laughs) I mean, I didn't say it, but I was like, I'm going to see if my uh, sketch show executive produced by uh, Steve Martin gets picked up or if uh, Veronica's Closet's going to ask me You're back. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, me, me and Kirsty, we, we haven't been talking a little well, bit yeah, recently. Yeah, she tried to get it. me into Scientology, and I was like, no, and she was like, you're fired. And Did so, you really? No. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been some good. I was like, fuck oh my this horror story. Not at all. All right. Uh, so, she, I, you know, I looked like a street urchin, and I just <laughs> wanted to see where it was going, and the drugs weren't coming out but she's like are you looking for work and i said yes and she goes follow me we were out front tang's 24-hour donuts i don't know if it's still there or not i know tang's so i, I, I walked tang's. in there it has those like what is it? it's not formica those like tables that are in the cement outside it's that like plastic yeah the molded sure that, yeah, that are just permanently in the you know little tables and uh so I walk in Tang's Donuts and every there's like whispering and people shifting around and she takes me outside and I meet my prospective pimp. She disappears and he's sitting there and he's like, my name's Kevin, but people call me Lawrence. And I was like, what? <laughs> a less cooler name. Uh, he was wearing like a um, black um, ski jacket, like a puffy ski jacket and gold chains. A puffalophagus. A puffalophagus. Yeah. Uh, in uh it's sweltering heat and he was trying to pull like a power move on me and 
because I, every time I tried to ask him something, because I was like, um, how's, you know, he's like, business has been good. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, what, what's her name? And he's like, lift up your sunglasses. Let me see your pretty face. And like, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't sit down. But I, but I also was still talking to him because there was a part of me that like left my body and was like, what's she going to do? Like, yeah. is she going to go through with this? And then he's like, you have a boyfriend. Like, you can't have a boyfriend. You can't like live with anybody. And uh, trying to like get my digits. And so I just kept talking to him. And then I started picturing like, what if I actually went to that apartment building? You know, like, what if I go through with this? Like, what would happen? And then I started like panicking and I was like, okay, I better get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and he's like, give me your digits. And I go, um, you know what? I'm going to think about it. And I started backing away like he would at a cocktail party. Yeah. Like, thanks, Lawrence. <laughs> and he's like, give me your digits. And I'm like, oh, maybe later. And he's like, I think you have thought about it. And that was his like closing statement. And I was like, okay, bye. And I just like <laughs> skipped out of there. Um, yeah, and I was scared for like the next two weeks that I would run into him again, and that was it. it was like, that was the last time you I went to had Tang's. <laughs> you stopped going to Tang's. That's you started, true. You started going to S and K Donuts. Yes, you know, far better place. Um, and that's so funny that the next title of the next song is "This Mess We're In." Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about this song is that Tom York sings the entire song. Listen, I don't want to say this is my favorite because I know it's hokey because it's like, oh, it's the one that Tom York sings, but it's like. And also her in this, you're like, oh, look who has a pretty voice. Yeah. Like, look who's singing like an angel, which makes me love her because she's like, yeah, I can do it. But why would I do it? It's less interesting. But for this song, she just comes in so smooth as silk. And they're so uh, beautiful together. But of course, always still haunting. You said exactly what I was going to say about it. Um, It sounds to me like this is kind of like a firsthand account of an affair that I think took place in New York, regardless if she says this isn't her New York record, I mean, she gives it to you. And the defining moment is during the bridge where they realize they gotta stop fucking with each other despite the fact that they got that good sex cam. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Hit it, Lawrence. I don't think we will we must leave now before the sun rises over the skyscraper the and the city landscape comes into being. It's so beautiful. It's so... And the fact that this exists, the placement on the record where you're just like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, it's right in the middle of the album. It's right in the middle. It's it's very cathartic. I think it's it's, after all the darkness, you find this beautiful love. And And I believe... Because this is what I love, man. I love when geniuses work together. And Tom York is a genius. And I now know PJ Harvey is a genius. But uh, it's it's, it's just so great. Um, So speaking of genius... And I and and this was of course at the end we're like we'll never meet again. Go on. Oh no! Uh, So you were on one of the greatest shows in my opinion of all time. Go on, Uh, Veronica's Closet. (laughs) (laughs) You were on Mr. Show, and I I think you had a collection of, uh, including yourself, some of the greatest comedic kashlukis ever. Jeez, thanks. Um, And honestly, you are one of my favorite people to riff with. To roof, not just riff, but roof with roofing it up uh, because you are so fun and so easy. So I, I have to ask this question: What was the collaboration like on Mister Show? Oh, jeez. I mean, this was a formative time in my life. I was in a position I never thought I would be in. I was around people. It was like I had finally found my people. That whole group before Mr. Show, we were doing live shows together, themed live alternative comedy oh, shows. And it like was like the heyday. 
Oh, I mean, it was nothing David is more. David Cross, Bob Odenkirk. Nothing Pat is more Nos- alternative than uh, Bob Odenkirk off SNL. David Cross um, leaving Boston and just hating um, the, the '80s comedy scene and regular comedy. Like they didn't want that. They wanted to do something different, and that's why I was allowed to even be in that scene because I was coming from like performance art, but I was very drawn. I didn't have any business necessarily. I was never drawn to stand up specifically earlier in my life because I couldn't relate to like, I'm a guy on stage talking about what I, but my entrance into this was because it was not um, your basic broad comedy because there were all these like weird layers to it and anything goes. And I met like my favorite weirdos and they, I was like a mascot. Like I was just happy to be there. Like yeah. I was just had a pep in my step and was like giggling and just it was a magical time and they just let me be a part of it is how it was. I, I, I mean I could imagine what that did you guys know you guys were creating something special while you were doing it? Yeah, I think they did. I certainly being able to watch them develop it and then shows that we had done at just these shitty rooms because we wanted to do these shows for each other that then developed in some of those into some of those early sketches and you know before the internet am i right they were doing live shows and inviting these executives out to see it i had this one bit that i did actually in art school in a performance art class and that's when i realized that i was people would always laugh but i didn't realize i was being funny but there's a little thing i took they that they used me as an interlude in between sketches where i just came out and i don't remember the lead into it but i would would pull out duct tape and be like these are not for you and tape up my breasts (laughs) and my vagina but there was a whole you know i don't remember what it is now but those were the guys that were like yeah we're gonna bring her out and she's just gonna do that in between and like that's that's where we're at yeah with this stuff that it that fits perfectly and it did and i had never imagined being like validated artistically and having that crash course and i still didn't realize really fully why it was funny i was just in earnest just doing weird shit and was accepted by them yeah it was just some of the best sketch writing and for uh, for a you know an 18 year old stoner there was nothing that spoke to me more that, you know, I like to, I get off masturbating while pie's cooling. <laughs> I think that's just genius. <laughs> um, so I, I love it. And that's the fact that I'm friends with you. Just, it still trips me out because, you know, I think you're this, the funniest. So Thanks. you're my PJ Harvey. Jeez, you go too far. Uh, you go too far. You're my PK Harvey. You're okay. my PF Chang. Okay, that's, that's fine. All right. Uh, you said something. You said something? It's the next song. <laughs> uh, this is just another great chemistry song uh, about about love, but bad timing. This one doesn't give you much, uh, but you do know that you said something. Peter, play one fifteen. How did we get here? To this point, of living. One of the happier songs on the record. Uh, yeah. What I find to be funny is that she's saying this isn't about New York, but she basically describes the city 
perfectly. She's like, I walked by the Flatiron Building. <laughs> it's not about New York. <laughs> I jumped on the F train. Stop saying it's about New York, you guys. Went to Times Square. I was in Dorset. Got a shawarma wrap from Mahmoud's. That's about my isolated <laughs> farmhouse. It's not about shawarma. You guys not get? Check the lineup <laughs> at Caroline's. No. Uh, my fa- I- this is like her mo- the most humorous song to me because she keeps repeating, you said something, you said something, you said something. And she's uh, like, it was really important. And then she doesn't, doesn't say what it what, is. Doesn't say and what it out. is. She doesn't want to tell us, but we know. That he or she said something. Yep. What did they say? Never know. No idea. You tell me. Kamikaze, the next one. This is a really bad romance song, and that's why it's called Kamikaze. Uh, it's She doesn't pull punches. Play Minute 7, brother. <laughs> This was another one that my son started inadvertently singing along to in the car. Really? He's got a... Sometimes I trick him. Like, I'll put on the Ramones and I'll be like, you like it. You know what I mean? I'm going to be shoving some PJ Harvey. Well, it's so... I can just imagine uh, (laughs) you and your son putting together puzzles, listening to Kamikaze. You're like, have you seen that piece that was in the center? (laughs) Kamikaze! <laughs> and you're just and a cat walks by. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like hey. Burn everything down. <laughs> Kill everybody. All right. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on this one? Do not. Okay, perfect. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is love. This is love. It is love. Play 217. You're the only story that I never told. You're my dirty this was the third single uh, and you can see why because it actually is very accessible it's just a, it's out of all the other songs which are more movements and more feelings this is a straight up just rock song verse chorus mm-hmm. verse and then the chorus is so catchy with the this is love this is love right. that I'm feeling yeah this is the quintessential r- women uh, her like the full force of her desire but she still has got some pain and oh and like I like that she doesn't make any apologies for uh, you're my dirty little secret yeah and she wants to chase like, you around the table and, and she who? wants to touch your head, which I assume means give you a dope scalp massage with nails, maybe. And I love that she's just like, yeah, I'm a woman. This is how I'm going to talk about it. And it's so unusual that she's like a, the full scope of a woman. It seems crazy yeah. that women aren't really allowed to express themselves she like can't that. say She can't say, I want you to go down on me. She has to say, I want to touch your head, which is like... You know what I mean? That's like a she, very... This el- paved the way for Cardi B, is what I'm saying. You're not wrong. <laughs> you are not wrong. Um, now, I have a quick question, because you were, you're pretty open publicly about your sexuality and your bisexuality. Whoa, did you do a deep cut on this? Deep cut, dude. You know, this, this was is- something that came up when I was doing press for something. 
I feel bad because I, I, I have thoughts about this. I haven't collected them yet. It has something to do with my generation. It also has something to do with me not wanting any labels. But then this girl called in and she's like, well, do you support? And she clearly identified with like the label and an organization. And I was like, of course I do. Like if that's what you need to, um, to be safe. But part of my thing is like, I don't want to talk about it because it's not important to me. But then, but then the other part of it is, or is it because I'm like scared to really put it out there? You know what I mean? Cause I'm yeah. also like, I'm also really a relationship person. And so I think that if you're like, I'm bisexual, it just like makes, uh, it makes it not sound. What's the word I'm looking for? Sound like petty or like you can like, you're like, you're not a serious person. Yeah. And, that's still something that and this is where I think the generational thing comes in because now I go to like you know young I see uh, people just turning 20 that are like so I'm pansexual and you know when you watch porn on when you're growing up and you have like the one computer that's in your parents like side room I was like oh wow like this is different now because speaking of like Mr. Show and that time uh, that was also, you know, a lot of people were doing, it was like Margaret Cho and Kathy Griffin and all these people were doing the Uncabaret, which was this confessional style. So it, it, it still was something to have a secret and reveal. So it would be like a big deal to even talk about it. And now it's sort of as a given, which I think is yeah. fantastic. Um, but personally, I still have a lot of um, unanswered things yeah. about my own sexuality because I've never been able to really sustain a relationship with a woman because PJ Harvey says in her other song uh, <laughs> it, because it's complex and and again with like time and having lived so much life and I'm just coming out of a marriage which is weird because I also feel more free to talk about it now because I was so focused on my marriage that I'm like this is a straight relationship and that and that was it so yeah. like I didn't talk about it um, but so yeah, it's a re it's a real can of worms. No, I I, I agree. All right, uh, the next song is one that I actually think she should have ended the record on. Uh, Horses Ooh. in my dreams. Uh, this is this is this is how the album should have ended. It should have ended after eleven tracks. Uh, Peter, play uh, play the ending for me. Strong statement. That that's that's the way you end that album with that line. I've pulled myself clear. It's a clean way to end the album. It just and it it feels like it's it's just releasing you, like like a little like you're like releasing baby Moses into the Nile, and you're just like be free, baby Moses, and he skiddles off in the waves, and you yes. just, you're just like I you're like that little guitar noodling. Do 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 do. It reminded me ever so slightly of uh, Liz Fair. See, I haven't dived into okay. Liz Fair like that, but... Uh, Ever so slightly. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Okay. All right, we float, and we do. Uh, I think this is another one about Nick Cave uh, and how she felt... Uh, she really loved him. She did love him. Uh, and this is some really funny stuff that we pulled up. Uh, you got to keep this in mind. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but uh, about why this relationship probably was so hard on her. Both of them are artists. Both of them are selfish. He had a lack of monogamy. He's also a drug addict. He wants to punch someone in the face. She just wants to get the skew numbers right. Exactly. And serve people their food. And I don't know what drug he was on, but I'm guessing from his hairdo, it was heroin. Uh, he's got a heroin head. Uh, play 137. For somebody who blows your goddamn brains out, you should... 
shoplifted as a child I had a model smile you're right. It, this almost feels like a coda. Like even the tempo goes up. Yeah, it's, it's just like it's an epilogue. It's, it's, I think it's different from the rest of the record. I think if you would have ended it with Horses in My Dream, uh, I just think it really would have, I don't know. It just would have been like the nice bow on such a beautiful, powerful uh-huh. record. This, you put this one song up. All right, you want to do some facts and get out of here? Yeah. All right. Uh, do you like facts? Do you like facts? Do, 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 I like do, facts. Do, 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 do. Here's some facts. Here's some facts. Was that do, almost Coldplay in there? <laughs> you were like, I like facts. I like facts. <laughs> PJ Harvey was actually first the name of the trio she was in with bassist Steve Vaughn and drummer and singer and co-producer of this album, Rob Ellis, before she went solo with the same name. At her debut gig with her trio, they cleared the room during their first song, prompting a woman to come up and yell, don't you realize nobody likes you? We'll pay you. You can stop playing. We'll still pay you. That's great. So good. What was the worst gig you ever played? Oh, gosh. There's so many. Hit me with the worst. The worst. Um, Where was I? Side Splitters Tampa could be? Uh... A large man with long hair, mustache, I want to say Samoan or Hawaiian, in the back, couldn't really see him. In the front was fans of mine. So the room was fans and then like people that were papered. Do you you know what I mean? Because I have the rare ability to have people be in the front row like I have your sweater that you wore in 24 and then a guy like this in the back row shut up you're not funny so high on drugs so disruptive um you know that's not even my worst gig because I still handled it but I ended up walking into the audience and talking to his friends and going why are you guys here why are you letting him do this? Which is, you never want to go there in a yeah, comedy no. show where you're just in earnest trying to talk to people um, and say, hey, what's going on? So, you know, I didn't feel like quite the entertainer that night. But I mean, like tons of just bombings and weird not knowing how I come off or people feeling bad for me, what's not most, getting any laughs. What's the most awkward acting gig you've ever book do you want to talk about that i was in a pilot called shasta mcnasty which actually i remember that for some reason i remember shasta mcnasty with a Busey. he was in it yeah i was the original girl and the creator liked me and thought i was hilarious and they ended up i got fired from it because they replaced me with a girl in a bikini who would just walk around in her underwear I think it worked out in your favor. And I remember Paul Thomas Anderson, I, just because we talked to him, it's jogging my memory. He was like, oh, Shasta McNasty, like making fun of me because I think I suffer from like, I just want to work. Like I'm yeah. not discerning. I'm just like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll a, make something a, out of a, that. It's a gift to work with yeah. it, to be able to do it. And it's like if you get an acting role, it's kind of like there's so many people that would die to have that. Yeah, like We it, all hope to get to a place where we could be like, oh, no, I that's beneath me or yes. I'm taking a different – direction oh my gosh where people are like oh why did you choose to do this like why did i choose to do it because i'm trying to get a job because i want to feed myself but yeah shasta mcnasty was the perfect example of 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 the material was beneath me but then i bond with the creator and i just in my mind 
like I make it like it's okay because I'm yeah. like, oh, he's really trying and this is his show. And it's like roommates that are misogynistic and terrible. And one of the storylines is like they eat cereal and watch their um, another woman in her underwear through the window across the way. But just if that's not enough women in their underwear, they also live with one. So yeah. later in the show, she walks out and is like, hey, guys. <laughs> and of course, I feel like I brought like some realness and was like. Yeah, fuck, fuck you. Guys. Like I brought a real uh, levity to it. Yeah. That's not the right word. Um, squadoodle. Uh, a squadoodle to it, yeah. and then they just were like, "No, we better just have it be a hot girl <laughs> can, can with get, no with no discerning qualities." Can, can you get Donna D'Erico or like one of the Baywatch bitches? And they came out, and you're like, "Okay, guys, I'll just I'll just go be in this art house movie that is considered. Uh, I think it won cons." I think it won cans. Is it cans so to, or cons? To be fired from something that I never should have been in in the first place is kind of a blessing and a curse because it's like yeah. I, I kind of am lucky that stuff sort of spits me out if it's not right for me. So yeah. I love that. But it's also like, why did I put myself through that in the first place? 100%. All right. In 2001, PJ became the first female solo artist to win the prestigious Mercury Music Prize for this album. Ten years later, she became the first artist to win twice for her eighth studio record, Let England Shake, also making her the most successful artist in the awards history, which is fucking dope. Now, after being known primarily as a comedic actor, in 2003, you were cast on the third season of Keith Sutherland's action drama, 2-4, also right. known as 24. That's right. Your character, Chloe O'Brien, was such a hit with fans and critics that you stayed on for the rest of the series and became Kiefer's co-star Hell yeah, and we're I brought did. back at one tenth of the pay. Am I right? <laughs> I wait <laughs> my way in there at a guest star pay. <laughs> How did that come about? And were you shocked that you broke through outside of comedy? Oh my gosh, this is totally all connecting. Hit the me. the executive producer of the show had been turned on to Punch Drunk Love. He saw me in Punch Drunk Love, and that's why he wanted me in Twenty Four. And this, by the way, is my best best case scenario. Any great job I've had has been the vision of one person or a team that's on the same page. Gary Shandling, Joel Sternow, Paul Thomas Anderson, they, in other words, the, he wanted me for the part. I'm not, say, I'm not saying things should be handed to me, but it's when you things aren't done by committee. Things aren't done by, what's your hair color? Will this yeah. be the right uh, algorithm for our show? But that it's, so he called me in because he had seen me in that and he wanted that like bitchy quality that of the sisters in Punch Drunk Love and there was no material and it was just like a dream scenario. Like I was walking down the hall and he goes, you're great. I don't have the part written yet, but just sit down and like there's nothing to this but read this. And then I got brought on for, you know, four shows and then six shows and then kind of like built it. Was there, there, was there... Was it hard to go from comedy to yeah, drama? What it was, was really what was, weird. What was, was, the, what was the most difficult hurdles? I was really scared because I didn't know if I would fit with the tone of the show. And it was already at the height of popularity. It was a very successful show. I started in season three. So I was really scared because I was like, I don't know how to do drama. I, and I I was worried about sticking out, which actually I did, which, which gave me my lasting power. But there was one point a few episodes in where... I just started trying to talk like this and like with, and then they noticed it in the dailies. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't, I stick out too much. He's like, yeah, but it's working. Um, but yeah, that very first day is what my scene was with Kiefer and he, he's, 
addicted to heroin to be undercover, you know, to to like be with the crooks or whatever. And he's looking for his fix. And I walk in with some like administrative thing. And I'm like, I don't like to study. And I'm a quick study. And I like read the lines. I'm like, I got it. Even though this is like so serious, I still can't bear to like study. So I just go in there and I know what I want to do. And I'm taking it seriously, but I just studied it quickly. And the first take it came out of my mouth. Like, I, I don't know. It was just jargon. Like I can't even recreate it now. It was like just dense stuff that a human being would never say just informational so i do it then they go light for 20 minutes and i come back and i'm like it does not they have left the words are gone like completely gone and i watched like the entire production stop for me not remembering my lines was like the biggest crash course in like you better get your shit together i had to go stand in the corner and repeat it over and over and over again and i was like sweating i was like oh my god i'm gonna get fired i'm wasting so much time my scene is with Kiefer, and then like way after the fact i finally like got through it but at the end of the day or maybe the next day they're like yeah that happens to everybody like because it's it's Kiefer. it's <laughs> he's a lost boy but i, I learned how to lost use boy mind tricks on you it's, it was some vampire Did Keith, Was Kiefer's trailer uh, just a cave in Santa Clarita <laughs> where he slept upside down hanging by his feet? <laughs> Cry, little sister, station. It's like, Kiefer, do we have to play that at the every rap party? <laughs> Cry like, to your brother. Can you wipe that blood off the side of your mouth for the scene, please? <laughs> oh, this was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Ooh, what a fun interview. It got me in my castoodles. The one and only Mary Lynn Rice, guys. And if you want to find out more about Mary Lynn, find her and all things Mary Lynn on her website, MaryLynnMaryLynn.com. Find her on Instagram and Twitter at Mary Lynn Rice Check out her podcast, Checking In with Mary Lynn, on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. But listen on Spotify and check out The Tomorrow War when that comes out in theaters now. We just listened to PJ Harvey from 2000. This week, music director Little Maddie Pinfield chose Liza and the Delusionals. They're a four-piece band from Australia. Frontwoman Eliza Clad cites artists such as PJ Harvey, Paramore, Coldplay, and Catfish and the Bottleman as major songwriting influences. They are breaking out of the Aussie indie scene and touring America now. Their latest single, Pull Apart Heart, is now available on the Spotify. Check out the link on our website, guys, the500podcast.com. And if you are in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music showcased on the 500 website, because you do, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and the artist in the subject line. Next week is Vampire Weekend Week with their 2007 self-titled album, Vampire Weekend. You got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Dougal. Dougal. Hey, 
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Porn. Satan. Drugs. Therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.